Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash my money health check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. There were some real surprises here, some of which made jaws drop in the Witch Money team. Essentially, a lot of people calling it a sort of retro approach back to the 80s, trickle-down economics, Reaganomics, you know, Thatcher is back. We promised to prioritise growth, Mr Speaker. We promised a new approach for a new era. We promised to release the enormous potential of this country. Our growth plan has delivered all those promises and more. The oil and gas producers will be toasting the Chancellor in the boardrooms as we speak, while working people are left to pick up the bill. We're releasing the podcast slightly later this week as we react to the emergency mini-budget. This morning, the new Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, unveiled a raft of measures as part of the government's response to the current cost-of-living crisis, including some quite surprising announcements, all of which we'll be discussing on today's show. And to do this, I'm joined by the Deputy Editor of Which Money magazine, Sam Richardson, and Which Senior Writer, Ian Aikman. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Good morning, Lucia. Thanks, Lucia. Good to be here. Well, before we get into the details, let's first hear from the new Chancellor. Here's Kwasi Kwarteng speaking to Parliament earlier on today. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, for too long in this country, we've indulged in a fight over redistribution. Now we need to focus on growth, not just how we tax and spend. We won't apologise for managing the economy in a way that increases prosperity and living standards. Our entire focus is on making Britain more globally competitive, not losing out to our competitors abroad. The Prime Minister promised that we would be a tax-cutting government. Today, we have cut stamp duty. We have allowed businesses to keep more of their own money to invest, to innovate and to grow. We have cut income tax and national insurance for millions of workers. We are securing our place in a fiercely competitive global economy with lower rates of corporation tax and lower rates of personal tax. We promised to prioritise growth, Mr Speaker. We promised a new approach for a new era. We promised to release the enormous potential of this country. Our growth plan has delivered all those promises and more, Mr Speaker. And I commend it to the House. And here's Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves with her response. Can I thank the Chancellor on his comprehensive demolition of the record of the last 12 years? Their record, their failure, their vicious circle of stagnation. The Chancellor has confirmed that the costs of the energy price cap will be funded by borrowing, leaving the eye-watering windfall profits of the energy giants 
untaxed. The oil and gas producers will be toasting the Chancellor in the boardrooms as we speak, while working people are left to pick up the bill. Borrowing higher than it needs to be, just as interest rates rise. And yet the Chancellor refuses to allow independent economic forecasts to be published, which would show the impact of this borrowing on our public finances, on growth and on inflation. It is a budget without figures, a menu without prices. Speaker, what has the Chancellor got to hide? So first things first then, Sam, can you run us through some of the headlines from today's mini budget? Definitely. So there were some real surprises here, uh, some of which made jaws drop in the Witch Money team. Mm -hmm. Perhaps most of all, abolishing the additional tax rate. This was introduced in April 2010 and applied to income above £150,000 per year. It was a 45% tax rate. This is coming in in April next year, April 2023 and will be a tax cut for the highest earners. So HMRC's latest statistics show that just 1.9% of income taxpayers pay additional rate tax, while over 80% pay the basic rate. So it's a basic rate which actually affects normal working people and which we should really focus on. So the basic rate is being cut from 20p in the pound to 19p, but that's not coming until April next year. In the immediate term, the biggest changes to our energy bills, those were changes announced uh, when Liz Truss came into power. While we've heard the figure of £2,500 bandied around quite a lot, what is capped is actually the price per unit and the standing charge. So what you pay will still depend on how much energy you use and your bill could be very different from that £2,500 figure. Another big change is to national insurance. On the 6th of November, so a little earlier than those other planned tax changes, the increase in national insurance, the health and social care levy, will be scrapped. So that means you'll pay 1.25 percentage points less in national insurance contributions, and there's an equivalent cut to the rate of dividend tax. Since April this year, we were paying those increased national insurance contributions. From April next year, it was due to apply to people over state pension age. Uh, And a final very big change is to stamp duty. If you're buying property, you'll pay less stamp duty. This is because the threshold at which you start paying stamp duty, previously £125,000, has been doubled to £250,000. The threshold at which first-time buyers start paying stamp duty has been increased to £425,000. But of course, the stamp duty change will only save you money if you're about to buy property. It also applies to England and Northern Ireland initially. Scotland and Wales have different stamp duty rates and set their own stamp duty rates. And Ian, there has been a huge reaction online, hasn't there, with many people using the phrase trickle-down economics to summarise these announcements and the new PM's financial strategy. Ian, what does this actually mean? Yeah, so trickle-down economics is a term used to describe a particular kind of approach to economic policy that sort of really first came to prominence in the 1980s. So people like Ronald Reagan in the US and, of course, Margaret Thatcher here in the UK were big believers in it. Um, People who support it don't usually call it trickle-down economics. It's it's almost more of a derivative term. Um, And so, in fact, today, the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng was calling it uh, reforming the supply side of the economy by cutting taxes to encourage growth. So essentially how it works is 
It's the idea that measures that will create more wealth at the top of society, so cutting taxes is a big one, cutting regulation, uh, will trickle down to then help the middle class and the poorest in society as well. So one example which the Chancellor specifically said today is businesses will make more profit because of the freeze in corporation tax that's now no longer going to rise. And hopefully they will then create more jobs and increase wages. You know, and similarly, uh, wealthy individuals like the bankers who've also had their bonus cap uh, lifted today, they're seen as sort of wealth generators to bringing money into the economy. And that's why the Chancellor is framing this budget as a growth plan. You know, these are policies that will hopefully spark economic growth rather than necessarily give people help directly. Um, and this kind of thinking has been influential in some way uh, over the past 40 years since it sort of really came out in the 80s. Um, but this is one of the most sort of nakedly trickle-down budgets we've seen in a very long time. You know, in the Chancellor's own words, he said, we've been arguing too much about redistribution, you know, redistribution of wealth. You know, this isn't about that anymore. That's in the past. Now we're focusing on measures that will hopefully help create growth. But the key thing is about trickle-down economics is that it doesn't necessarily work like that. You know, decades later, uh, and it's had a lot of influence, we still have massive inequality. We've got worsening inequality even. And the trickling down hasn't necessarily happened. You know, corporations that make more money, they don't necessarily use that additional profit to create jobs. Mm. And in fact, some of the most profitable companies in the world infamously pay the majority of their workers very, very low wages. So, you know, I suppose we could be having to hope here that this will be the one. Uh, this is the time that trickle down economics is going to actually trickle down. But it is a contrast to some of the more uh, redistributive policies we've seen from governments in the past. You know, it's not necessarily the kind of thing we were seeing, uh, even from Rishi Sunak recently, sort of sending money directly out to people's pockets. Of course, there is some of that still uh, around the energy bills, um, which I'm sure we'll hear about. Essentially, a lot of people calling it a sort of retro approach back to the 80s, trickle down economics, Reaganomics, you know, Thatcher is back. Mm. I heard someone say the ghost of Thatcher was in the room uh, during that budget. So yeah, it's, it's very much a approach, hands-off approach, cut taxes and leave the economy to essentially sort itself out. Well, I should say we'll also be discussing uh, the Bank of England's rise in the base rate later on, as well as the energy bill support announced by the PM for those in Northern Ireland, as well as for businesses earlier this week. But first, though, and back to the budget, can we talk about some of the reversals in policy in a little more detail? Namely, the new Chancellor has cancelled predecessor Rishi Sunak's plans to both raise national insurance and corporation tax. Yeah, there's plenty of reversals. I think it's easiest to look at them from the shortest lived policies to the longest. So the shortest lived is a plan increase in national insurance contributions, the health and social care levy, which was only announced last September. So this levy already applied uh, to many of us. We paid 1.25% uh, extra national insurance contributions uh, from April this year. But from April next year, the levy would have also applied to people working above the state pension age who don't usually pay national insurance contributions. This policy will be scrapped on the 6th of November, so it will save households money. Corporation tax was also due to increase from 19% to 25% in April next year. This policy was announced back in March 2021, but will also be cancelled as the government aims for growth. 
Other policies that we cancelled include the IR35 tax rule reforms from 2017 and 2021, and reaching even further back, of course, additional tax rate, which was introduced in 2010, is another tax change which has been cancelled. And what about bankers' bonuses? Another one which I have to say won't affect many of us. Um, Sam, can you talk us through what's been announced here? So since 2014, bankers' bonuses have been capped at 100% of their base salary or 200% with special shareholder approval. Uh, This was introduced after the 2007-8 financial crisis because of fears that huge bonuses encourage bankers to take excessive risks because, you know, that huge amount of money was available. So this has now been scrapped and the Chancellor claims that it will attract bankers to work and crucially pay tax in London rather than Paris, Frankfurt, New York or other financial centres. Whatever you're feeling about the bankers' bonuses, and it does provoke quite a lot of reaction, especially for those of us who remember the financial crisis very well. This is a measure which really isn't going to affect most working people and won't really help most working people either. Now, Ian, perhaps one of the most surprising announcements was on the property market. Uh, People listening might remember the stamp duty cut during the pandemic, which spurred huge numbers of transactions over those couple of years. Now, many experts didn't expect it then. And well, It's happening again, and this time it's being delivered as a permanent change. Ian, what do you think about this one? How is it going to work? Yeah, well, these changes are just for uh, England and Northern Ireland, because in Scotland and Wales, there's different systems there. Um, But what we've seen, and all of this is effective immediately, and as you say, permanently this time, uh, is changes to the property values at which you pay no stamp duty at all. So the 0% uh, rate. If you're a first-time buyer, that's increased from £300,000 to £425,000. And you can also get stamp duty relief on properties worth up to £625,000. That's up from the previous rate of £500,000. If you already own a home and you're moving to another one, the 0% rate has doubled from £125,000 to £250,000. So we've done some maths here. um, And if nothing else changes other than what the Chancellor has said today, so it's just the 0% rate that changes, but everything else stays the same, uh, then the maximum saving for a home mover here is £2,500, we think, which actually, you know, we're going to find out later, I'm sure, is enough to pay your energy bills for a year. Uh, But it's not necessarily a huge discount on buying a home when you're dealing with prices in the hundreds of thousands there. So just like in the pandemic with the previous uh, stamp duty cut, we are likely to see more sales going through. We are likely to see more movement in the market here. But I think the key thing to remember, well, two key things is one is that this doesn't have anything to do with increasing the supply of housing, uh, which many would say is also an important part of solving the sort of housing crisis. And the other thing is, it doesn't make a difference to you if you can't already afford to buy a house at the moment. So if you are already a homeowner and you're moving, you can save the money here. If you have the amount of money for a deposit or the income to qualify for a mortgage, uh, and then you can become a first-time buyer, you'll save money there as well. But if you don't have any of those things, you're not already a homeowner, it's not going to open up the property ladder to the kind of people who currently can't get onto it uh, already, uh, unfortunately enough. Now, one of the biggest financial announcements actually came before the budget. On Thursday, the Bank of England announced they'd be raising the base rate by 0.5%. But this is actually lower than many had predicted, with forecasters expecting a 0.75% increase. We've been speaking to Laura Suter, Head of Personal Finance at investment firm AJ Bell, about why they may have decided against that higher rise. 
The Bank of England is obviously a bit divided among the committee that make the decision about interest rates. So usually we'd see the majority voting one way. What we actually saw this time was quite a split committee. So there's nine people on the committee. Uh, five of them voted for the rate rise that we got, which was half a percent. Three of them voted for a higher rate rise of 75 basis points. And one lone figure voted for a lower uh, rate rise of a quarter of a percent. So what that shows is that the job at the moment is quite tricky and it's quite tricky making that decision. Now, markets had expected a much higher rate rise to two and a half percent. But what the bank has got to balance at the moment is a lot of competing factors. So the reason that it's raising interest rates is to try and keep inflation in check. We know that inflation is about 10 percent at the moment. The bank's target is 2%. So there's obviously a large gulf between those two. And it wants to raise rates to try and bring that inflation figure down. But at the same time, we have some fairly dire outlooks and economic forecasts for the country at the moment. And what the bank doesn't want to do is to push the economy further into recession. So it's trying to balance those two competing demands. And we can see the trickiness of that in the divided decision among the policymakers. So, Sam, what might the base rate mean for us? The base rate increase will arguably have a bigger impact on your finances than many of the measures announced in the budget. Uh, The base rate affects what we pay to borrow and what we get paid to save. However, it's a bit more complicated than that. So when the base rate goes up, it means interest rates on mortgages, credit cards and loans is also very likely to go up. But there's an important caveat. If the rate you're paying is fixed, it won't change until the fixed period ends. So, for instance, I've got a five year fixed rate mortgage, which will end in August next year. So what I'm paying won't change till August next year. However, it means come August next year, the payments I make are going to skyrocket. So it's a month I'm really dreading. But in all seriousness, many households have been hit now because their rates aren't fixed. So that's their housing costs and potentially costs for credit card and personal loan debt, which are shooting up, added to all the other rising costs this year. When it comes to savings, the picture's a bit murkier. Banks don't have to raise the rate they pay you unless your savings account is specifically tied to the base rate, which means now is actually a great time to move your savings elsewhere because the offers for new customers for new accounts are going up with the base rate. And many high street banks in particular pay very, very poor rates to current customers. So I'd really advise anyone with a savings account with high street bank to look elsewhere and they will get much more on their savings. Sterling advice, Sam, there as always. Now, moving on to energy, there was a long awaited announcement this week too, with financial support offered for businesses as well as households in Northern Ireland. We've been speaking to which energy expert, Marianne Cowan, for more on what's being made available. So, for customers in Northern Ireland, the additional support will come in the form of reduced unit rates by up to 17 pence per kilowatt hour for electricity and 4.2 pence per kilowatt hour for gas. And for prepayment customers, the same discounts will be applied to your current unit rates. This support is going to be taking effect from November, but it will be backdated to the 1st of October with a view to put it on par with the support that's available to those customers in England, Scotland and Wales. And you 
don't need to take any action to benefit from the guarantee and the discount will be applied to your bills automatically. In addition, for households in Northern Ireland, they'll also be receiving a £400 discount on electricity bills through something called the Northern Ireland Energy Bill Support Scheme. And again, you don't need to do anything to receive this support either. And Ian, can we talk about businesses here too? What support is available for them? Yeah, well, just like we've got an energy uh, price cap for consumers, there's also going to be a cap on uh, how much energy suppliers themselves have to pay uh, for energy, uh, which they then supply to the customers. Um, And there's also some new rules introduced around uh, making it easier for these energy firms to access uh, finance from banks and things like that. But something that was notably absent uh, from the you know new energy related rules for businesses is a windfall tax on the huge amount of profit that energy firms have been making uh, throughout this crisis while consumers have been paying uh, these extremely, extremely high bills. Uh, and the opposition pointed out that this is something they've been asking for and something that has not been brought in. So that's something many people might have felt was missing from the sort of new energy related rules for businesses. Um, but in, you know, in terms of what has been announced, it is things that uh, much like helping consumers pay their bills uh, are going to help the businesses pay their bills. So it's been a very busy week of financial announcements, which we've managed to squeeze into one episode. To finish, Sam and Ian, I wonder if you can both pick out one thing we've heard that might have the biggest impact on either our money or the economy as a whole. Well, it's not quite from this week, but the energy price cap for me is by far the biggest. That's hundreds or potentially thousands of pounds that we'll save during a difficult winter. But it's also over £60 billion for the first six months that the government is borrowing. And this could impact our tax bills for decades ahead. For me, I think it's the big comeback of uh, trickle down economics and sort of by the Chancellor's own uh, admission, a move away from redistributive Uh, policies. And I think the, you know, it's very optimistic to sort of take this approach and hope that, you know, that it does trickle down from the uh, profits of businesses and from the, uh, you know, income from the wealthiest in society. Um, And I think also something else uh, that's going to be pretty significant for a large number of people uh, are the potential changes to the way universal credit uh, is going to be paid out. So the Chancellor was light on detail but he talked about trying to incentivize people to uh, get work, look for work, uh, or if they're already in work, find more work or, or higher paid work um, with the sort of suggestion that uh, if people don't do that, then uh, their universal credit payments will be reduced. So that, again, is a move away from larger welfare state type policies and uh you know, some people, that could be a very, very difficult thing. Thank you so much to Sam and Ian for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Please do also subscribe to the show to make sure you catch us again next week. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And there's also our free money newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded, produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Grace Witherden. 